Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Inspiration and Isolation. This is a weekly conversation among Alaska artists exploring how we're weathering isolation during the COVID-19 pandemic and what strategies we're using to make this a time of creative productivity. This conversation is recorded and shared on Bunnell Street Art Center's podcast at bunnellarts.org. My name is Asia Freeman and joining me today are David Pettibone and Ryan Conero. David is a figurative painter. He makes paintings of people and places which seek to convey the visceral emotions that arise from our convoluted relationship with the natural world. He received his Bachelor of Fine Arts from the Rhode Island School of Design and a Master of Fine Arts from the New York Academy of Art. David has taught art through various institutions, including Brooklyn College, Marymount Manhattan College, and the University of Alaska. He resides in Homer. Welcome, David. And also with us today is Ryan Conero. Ryan makes story-centered performance and sound works that aim to cultivate relationship and community. He received a Rasmussen Individual Artist Award, three Alaska Broadcasters Association Goldie Awards, and an NBC Out Queer Performer Spotlight. Originally from North Georgia these days, Ryan has one foot in Alaska and the other in New York City. You guys, I'm so happy to have you with us and all of the guests who've tuned in um, online. I'd like to just begin by um, inviting you to each tell us about your artistic focus in the past year. What have you been making? Let's start out with uh, Ryan. Sure. Thanks, Asia, for inviting me to be a part of this. I'm really excited to join this conversation today and to um, see friendly faces and um, hear friendly voices. Uh, David, it's nice to see you here as well in the proverbial Zoom room. <laughs> uh, yeah, my name is Ryan and um, I'm uh, joining from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I've um, had a foot here um, since 2014. Um, traditional land of the Lenape people. Um, very happy to um, have a home here. And uh, so the question is about my work over the past year. It's, it's been um, a year of, I would say, kind of um, expansion for me, both in my personal life and my vocational life. Um, I first came to New York to work as artist in residence with a company here, Ping Chong and Company. And Ping Chong and Company makes um, uh, community-based artistic work, um, theatrical work. And uh, that's been my sort of artistic home for the past five years here. And many of the projects I've gotten to do with Ping Chong and Company have been back in Alaska communities, which has been such a delight. Um, this past year uh, with Ping Chong and Company, uh, I was able to premiere a new original project um, called Bad Husband, Bad Homo. And this was a uh, stage work that was exploring um, queer identity and um, in the context of gay marriage. And I said before, you know, my life has felt like full of expansion, both personally and in vocation, in my vocation, because I also went through a breakup last year, a divorce. Um, I turned 40 last month. Um, so I'm finding a lot of big shifts happening in my life and have been really pleased to get to make some work that's sort of about meditating on that. Bad Husband, Bad Homo is a, is a, is a comedy um, and it's uh, kind of a drag-esque show and it was a real uh, delight for me to get to make that in collaboration with some other queer performers. Um, 
also uh, premiered another piece um, called Saints of Failure, uh, which kind of had some similar themes, um, but was a more of an interdisciplinary performance work using uh, makeup application to perform um, the ways that we, to perform and explore the ways that we sort of fail to achieve the sort of norms or ideals that society or broad culture teaches us to, to try to fulfill. And that piece I did here in Brooklyn last year and then also in Juneau in um, February. Um, in addition to that, I'm working on a community-based project in Juneau that's a Ping Chong and Company project. It's called Juno Voices. And it's a series of sound works um, that are featuring Juno folks sharing personal stories related to specific locations around town. And the city of Juno, Juno will be installing signs um, this summer that will, uh, that will access these audio pieces. So um, visitors or Juno um, citizens can kind of encounter personal stories related to very specific locations around town. And I'm doing that in collaboration with Lillian Petershore, who's um, a Clinkett artist who lives in Juneau, who's the lead collaborator on that project. So um, I have had a lot of really exciting um, things going on this year that are, um, that are challenging me in lots of new ways. And that's kind of uh, the territory that I've been in as we headed into this uh, period of this pandemic. Mm, fascinating. Thank you, Ryan. David, you want to bring us up to date with um, what uh, you've been up to in the past year or so? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> it kind of feels like the past year has been split in half recently. Um, but um, been pretty busy with different projects. Um, my wife and I were um, in the middle of running the shop, Catch Bay Art Space, a, a maker space here in Homer, um, in October, we made the decision to, um, to shut it down and um, focus on our own work and focus on um, teaching without needing the, uh, the space, the overhead for the space. Um, so that, when we were running the shop, that, that took up um, a huge amount of energy for both of us um, and it was a it was a great experience um, I can't imagine where we would be right now if we had continued that um, into this um, into this recession um, but that shut down in October um, in terms of my personal painting projects I started working on a new narrative um, I kind of see my work as splitting into um, large-scale narratives and, uh, and life studies. Um, and I started a new narrative project called um, Eat, Drink, and Be Merry. Um, it's, uh, the title comes from a book, which I have around here. Um, comes from a book called uh, Encounters with the Archdruid. Uh, by John McPhee, um, and he's quoting David Brower, um, the conservationist. Um, he says, I believe in wilderness for itself alone. I believe in the rights of creatures other than man. And I suppose I accept Nancy Newhall's definition, conservation is humanity caring for the future. It is the antithesis of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Um, so the, the work, um, it's evolving, but the work is, is right now concentrates on um, 
the uh, the landscape of um, of the South Central Alaska, especially Kachemak Bay, and how we utilize the the land the resources, um, how we um, abuse it, and how we how we utilize it. Um, in addition to that, I, I'm doing a lot of um, small smaller works, live studies, uh, and I'm working on a mural uh, with the artist um, Austin Parkhill, also a Homer-based artist. That mural is going up on the police station, the new police station, um, the next couple of months. Um, and I've been working with Joe Yelverton, artist and um, storyteller based in Anchorage. Um, hopefully we have a project coming up that will be um, based on uh, Cordova area and the, and the fishing community. That's all kind of right now um, up. Uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would love for you, for you each to describe your working and, and living environment, the locale that you choose to live and why it's important you to live and work in that place. But I would like you to do it through the lens of, if I may, three angles that I think are really, that Alaska artists have identified as significant challenges to their work. And these are healthcare, access to markets or collectors, potentially audiences fit into that as well, and workspace. So could you describe your decision to live and work where you do today or how you do through um, that lens and why it's important to be where you are? Want to start, Ryan? Sure. You said healthcare access to marketplace or audience, and then mm -hmm. the third one was what, Asia? Workspace. Workspace, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love, first of all, that I get to be in this conversation with both you, both of you, Asia and David, as visual artists. I admire the practice of visual artists in, in, in a general sense, um, and your, both of your practices specifically. And, uh, you know, part of my journey, um, I'm going to eventually answer your question, Asia, but uh, <laughs> I'm starting over here and then coming around. Um, I, my journey began in the arts professionally as a theater maker, as, um, and I identified as an actor when I was in undergraduate school. And that has um, gently and sometimes rapidly and sometimes in big left-hand turn ways expanded to, to identifying as a director, um, sometimes a designer um, and and really getting um, finding my my heart often in um, community engagement um, dimensions of making this kind of work but no matter where I situate in these um, in a storytelling process because um, I even lately move away from the term theater which connotes uh, production um, a formalized stage those kinds of things um, the, the more that I situate myself in any kind of storytelling process, it is it, by its nature collaborative and relational. Um, to tell a story, uh, I sort of need someone to be listening. To listen to a story, I need someone to be there to tell me that story. And so it's um, the work that I do is always about being in relationship with and ideally in proximity to other people. Um, and so one thing that, you know, even in my time living first in Nome and then in Juneau and working in other communities, uh, that's been guided by places where there is um, some 
structure in place to, uh, to facilitate that kind of collaboration, that kind of being in proximity with people. And then more specifically organizations, um, funding being available to make those kinds of projects possible. Um, and so I guess in a way that answers the workspace question to me, um, that it's, it's actually about where are people and resources that want to engage in this way. And sometimes that doesn't mean uh, we can't sort of put out a call or an invitation or initiate something and sort of gather people in. But um, one thing that I kind of love and envy about visual artists and writers is that um, the sort of, uh, you know, ethos of like going to be in a cabin with a wood stove and doing your work alone um, can be a little more challenging for us and the kind of work that I do. Um, but there are parts of the process that can work that way too. And we find ourselves in a moment where we're asking ourselves, how do we work alone? Um, I mentioned that I came to New York five years ago and that was because of the opportunity to work with Ping Chong and company. And even while I'm here, I'm sort of negotiating things like this studio apartment that I live in, you know, how do I make a space that can um, be flexible enough where I can do movement work, where I can um, do uh, musical and vocal practice, those, and do recording, those kinds of things. Um, so those are, those are, I guess, some of the considerations that I make when I think about place and space. Excellent. Thank you. What do you think, David? Um, Ryan, you mentioned in one of your interviews that um, that place is very important, and I, th I think um, we we absolutely have that in common. Um, I, I've been accused of um, fetishizing place, um, and I remember the first time, um, well, when somebody said that, when that actually became a, a notion that I, I'm guilty of that. Um, I was very proud of that, and I and it's true, and um, and I realized it was time to own that, um, and that's kind of when I decided to make the move to Alaska. Um, but I, I grew up in in um, Arizona, outside of um, Phoenix, kind of a suburb, undeveloped area, um, wide open spaces. Went to the East Coast for college in '99. Stayed on the East Coast until. 2014. Um, I made a trip to Alaska in 2013 for a, a, a project um, and it was a reminder of what um, what I was missing uh, the, the, the sort of the, the wide open landscape um, and I feel like um, I was in New York from 2005 to 2014. Um, I was I realized I, I flourish in the wide open landscapes. Um, in regards to healthcare, I, I kind of would put um, quality of life uh, in that category. And um, when I was in New York, I, I loved New, my time in New York. I met some incredible people and uh, I think about them every day, especially right now. Um, but I, uh, I made the decision to, to leave New York uh, based on quality of life. I, I realized that um, nature made me happy. Living in nature, being able to access it by just going out my front door. Um, and that um, that was a level of happiness that I could control. Um, so that was a, a major uh, deciding factor for me. Um, and really that, 
that aspect of happiness that I control can control um, throws almost all of the other um, considerations out the window, including, um, you know, people could say that, that leaving New York, you leave a certain, an audience um, or a soapbox as an artist. Um, I don't think that's true, but if that is true, um, I, I'm, I'm fine with, with making that decision. I, I would much rather um, be here in Alaska um, and, and be happy. Um, and, and saying that I don't think that's true, there's so many incredible people here that I have met, so many incredible opportunities that I would have never have had had I not come to Alaska. Um, so I, I firmly believe that um, where I am right now is where, where I belong. Mm -hmm. And David, could you, um, could you describe the kind of working environment that you have right now? I'm looking over your shoulder and seeing this beautiful big painting in progress. And what, what's, what's going on? Like, are you painting the middle of, of, of the house or how is your, what's your studio situation? Yes, like? yeah. We, we moved um, from a beautiful spot in Homer to another beautiful spot in Homer. Um, so, and we moved to our new place, um, let's see, in October. Uh, and it's kind of been a slow move in. There's, we're, we're just outside of town. Um, we're on um, uh, 20 acres. Um, and we're renting from um, one, a friend of ours uh, who is a, he built, actually he built this cabin um, uh, to be a, his own uh, painting studio. So there's, there's a, a window that's, that's uh, north light. And this was, his entire intention was that this was gonna be his um, painting, painting studio. This is uh, Richard Gustafson. Um, so there's also a, a, a sort of a barn uh, or a shop um, on the property and we're slowly transitioning into there. In the meantime, my, my studio is in the, the, main, the main house. Um, and it's also, it's, it's where I'm painting. Um, it's also where I teach. I've been since, um, the pandemic really took hold. I've been doing a lot, lot of, like everybody else, doing a lot of things online, including teaching online. Um, and that's been a, um, a wonderful opportunity. So it's kind of my, my office slash studio these days. Mm -hmm. And Ryan, um, what, is, what is your kind of like uh, live work situation, if you will? I'm saying live work just because <laughs> I know that you're... <laughs> In the, in the apartment a lot. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, it's, uh, I'll just start by saying I really resonate with a lot of what you're sharing, David. And, you know, I, I, I was excited to be in conversation with you partly because I knew a bit about your history here in New York as well. And um, I, I, I feel myself well up a little bit when you say, you know, you feel like you're, you're exactly where you belong. And I, I think that um, over the over my journey through life, honestly, I think I'm often sort of like, am I? I don't, I'm not quite sure. And I, you know, I come from a settler family and my, and in my own, like my heritage is a settler heritage. My parents are both of um, European descent. And in my own life, 
I, um, my dad was in the, the army as an army doctor. And so I moved around a lot growing up. So the longest place I've ever lived is Juneau, though I only moved there um, in 2003 when I was 23 years old. And so I feel, and the longest home I've ever had was in, was an apartment that I lived in in Juneau for five years. So that was the longest single space kind of relationship I had. Um, so I feel that, you know, over, over the recent years, I've just um, decided that I, as much as possible, I want to embrace the kind of ambiguities and tensions that come, from, come up for me about place. And that wherever I am, you know, um, engaging deeply with place and relationships with people in that place is really important to me to try to really be where I really am, um, even when that's a little bit uh, multiple places at once. So actually, to answer your question, Asia, that apartment in Juneau was a really important place for me. It was a one bedroom apartment. And um, I started my graduate school program, which was a low residency interdisciplinary arts program at Goddard College um, in Port Townsend, Washington, while I lived in that apartment. And it was during the journey of making work for that program, which really, that really helped me, push me to this dream I'd always had, but never motivated myself to actually do, which was to make some original performance work, some solo work. Um, and I wound up converting that one bedroom in the apartment into a little tiny studio space and kept my mattress, got rid of the bed frame, kept my mattress on the floor. And so I could just get up in the morning, you know, do my thing. And when it was time to work, just flip the mattress on its end and drag it out of the bedroom into the living room and then had an empty space that I could work in with a nice floor and started documenting my work with video in that little room and even having some group rehearsals in that tiny little room. <laughs> so it, uh, it, it started to teach me how to, you know, to be um, creative with what's there. Um, another key moment that I think of is that when I uh, came here in 2014, you know, I had this artistic home that I described at Ping Chong and Company and had been um, consumed with projects there. And there's studio space that the company has access to, which is really wonderful. And it's a, um, it's always a premium to have rehearsal space here in the city. Um, when some of that work tapered off, like Alakshka, Alaska, the production that I got to work with at Bunnell Street Art Center and, and tour to Alaska communities, when that started to taper off, I realized, you know, I, I was missing that experience that I'd had, the quality of like an open, a studio quality, a studio space quality that I'd had in that bedroom in Juneau. And again, this is something that I admire and feel like I learned from artists in other forms who have studio practices. And for me, coming from a theater training, a more conventional theater training, where we're not really working until we're rehearsing something to tour a production date, it was expanding to me to say to look at other artists and say, oh, they, they practice, they, they, they make stuff, and some of that stuff gets thrown away or painted over or erased, and it's just process-oriented, and it's not always headed towards production. And so I've tried to incorporate that into my work, into my thinking, and even my language, get away from calling some of the process rehearsal and instead calling it studio time. We're just gonna make stuff and some, none of this might actually take us anywhere explicitly. Um, so with this apartment, which I've lived in for just almost a year, it's a studio apartment. I'm very fortunate to have found this place by word of mouth. And, you know, the big thing is making sure that I'm, I'm happy that I'm wearing pants. <laughs> the big thing is that uh, I just wanted to get um, furniture that I could move easily, like the couple of bits of furniture that I have roll. And so I can sort of quickly turn most of this room 
into an open space. And I've had rehearsal with up to five other performers in here, and it's a little cramped, but we have easy access to the kitchen and coffee, which is good. And, um, and it feels really wonderful to have a space that we can sort of transform that way and, and sort of call our own creative time into whenever we feel ready to do that. Mm-hmm. Where in Brooklyn are you? I'm in Fort Greene. Nice. I, I was in Fort Greene for a little while. Yeah, it's a really lovely neighborhood. And um, with all the transitions in my life this year, it's, I, I'm trying to stay close because for, you know, for whatever kind of relative, you know, comparison, being close to Fort Greene Park is really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and another part of, uh, you know, continuing to embrace this place is that uh, two years ago, I wound up joining a, a kayak club in South Brooklyn. Um, I really got into paddling in Juneau and had done even a little bit in Homer as well um, and realized, you know, I wanted to find a way to do that here. I was so bummed because three weeks ago, as part of the city's closure of things, they also closed the the kayak club's boathouse. So there's, I can't, I can't paddle, which was a great social distancing practice. <laughs> um, but it's okay. We're, we're writing this out. Wow. And so now, you know, in the context of uh, COVID-19, how, how are you feeling about living in New York? You know, um, I imagine there's parts of you that want to escape and then other parts that are, have really developed community there. I'm interested in hearing uh, about your perspective and, and being in New York and like this epicenter of the pandemic at this time. Thanks, Asia. Um, yeah, it's been, um, it's been a really potent experience. It continues to be so, and I think it will continue to be so. Um, for how I feel today and this week, and I think so many of us, wherever we are, are sort of grounding ourselves in that as much as we can. Like, how am I doing today? Um, let's start there and be with that. Um, I've noticed today and the past few days some kind of shift in me, which is, I think, uh, recognizing that, you know, though this there's not normalcy now, maybe there's a little bit for me, a little sense of routine unfolding in the abnormal and the like, okay, how this is how I'm doing this time. And um, that's helpful, um, though disorienting too. And, you know, I should also acknowledge, like I'm very, so I'm so grateful that I feel healthy and um, that I I do have a safe, comfortable place to be sheltered in during this time. Um, at the beginning of this, when things were really tightening really fast here, um, I was in conversation with my family, who most of whom are in Georgia, and uh, my parents um, were there, are there, and they were gently sort of like, "What if you came down here?" Um, and I realized that um, I didn't really want to do that, and I realized that it was um, that it helped me to realize there's actually some optimism in this choice to stay because I thought, you know, if, if things are real, if this is actually the apocalypse, if we're really going off the edge of a cliff as a country or a world, then yeah, I do want to go to my parents and go down to, to Georgia. But if we're not, and if this is an extremely challenging time that we're going to move through to another thing, then I'd like to stay in my space here and be able to be a part of this neighborhood community. Um, so that is the choice that I made at that time. Um, 
I mentioned uh, the production that I did last fall, Saints of Failure, and that was um, in a, in a uh, site-specific production at the Lafayette Avenue Presbyterian Church, which is a couple blocks from here. And I joined that church a few years ago. It's been a really wonderful kind of um, way to get to know more community members in this neighborhood. And so, uh, you know, trying to balance during the pandemic, this very explicit and resounding repetitive instructions about just staying home and staying in and isolating. And also saying, you know, I'm relatively young, I'm healthy. I, I, um, I fortunately still have some work. So I feel relatively secure at the moment. Um, with the church, uh, with some members of the church, got involved in coordinating a neighborhood mutual aid network, which has been really wonderful. It's been like a nice um, way for me to feel a little bit um, aware of what's going on around me, knowing that there is a lot of suffering happening while also feeling just fine. Myself is disorienting and, and kind of, you know, strange. And so being able to say, well, I can make a delivery or an errand. And honestly, a lot of my role with the coordination has been right here at this computer and just helping connect volunteers with people who are requesting support. And that itself feels good. It's a lot of data entry-esque tasks, which if you had told me two months ago, I would enjoy doing that. I would have told me you're crazy, but <laughs> um, it feels nice to be sort of connecting people with support that way. Um, and then in the day-to-day, -day, you know, just... Um, getting outside when I can and um, finding clever ways to shop for groceries at the 24 hour bodega late at night when no one else is there. Um, I should also mention that I'm in a new relationship as of a couple months ago and that's been really delightful um, to, to share this time with someone that way. Um, so it's lots of hope and lots of darkness here all at once. Mm. Wow. Not surprised that New York would um, sort of you know, surface a lot of different extreme kind of experiences, you know, the light and the dark. Um, yes. And here we go in Homer sort of going through a seasonal shift to a wonderful balance of light and dark. Um, and I'm curious how you, David, are feeling about being in Homer at this time during the pandemic. And, and um, you know, how do you feel? How do you know that you're in the right place? You did speak a little bit about that earlier, but in particular, relating to COVID-19, how are you feeling? Sure. Um, well, listening to Ryan a little bit um, and hearing um, from friends, I have a friend who's a police officer um, in New York. He was in um, uh, Greenpoint uh, for a while. No, he was in... Um, bedside for for a while um, and he's just been moved up to Queens but some of the stories that he's shared um, some of the posts that my friends are posting there's there's um, there's a level of um, feeling like um, you know here in Homer we haven't we have uh, one confirmed case two two cases but one um, here in the city, uh, and there's a feeling that that we're kind of getting off easy. Uh, if you you know if you read about what's going on in New York, so there's it's not guilt, but there's certainly a sense that um, you know you want to be there for your friends and family who are are um, really experiencing the, the brunt of this. Um, at the same time. Um, 
I feel fortunate that that, that um, my wife and I are here, um, and that um, Alaska is relatively isolated right now. Um, that may change with the fishing season. That may change with whatever um, form of tourist season we end up having. Um, and uh, you know, some of these articles that you read about how just Alaska, especially the the villages, but Alaska in general, just doesn't. We don't have the beds that we would need. Um, so it's all, you know, it, it's a mix of emotions and we're feeling it throughout mm -hmm. the day. Yeah. What are, Ryan talked a little bit about like what he's doing during the day, including um, uh, data entry and rearranging the furniture and <laughs> what, David you pretty what, much capture the whole thing really <laughs> David what what's uh, what's the structure of your days like right now and how much is that shaped by the pandemic yeah um, so uh, lots of, of walks uh, we're we're outside of Homer so I take the dog on a couple of um, of hour-long walks um, that has been incredibly refreshing um, and needed. Uh, and um, I've actually probably been busier than I usually am um, trying to finish these paintings for the upcoming show at, at Benel. Um, also trying to do some, um, some side paintings, but also I've been incredibly fortunate to have the support of um, people in the community who want to keep taking lessons. So um, that's where, where a lot of my time has been going, has been teaching online lessons um, that, that just kind of took off as people are, are hunkering down and looking for things to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lucky in terms of that. Mm -hmm. I would like to shift a little bit into um, exploration of the time that each of you have spent in very rural parts of Alaska that was quite formative to your work and invite you to tell us a little bit about that work and what kind of artwork was created as, as a result of that. You want to start us out, Ryan? Sure. Um uh that's um that's a big question for me only because it's been such a formative part of my my life really my mm -hmm. sense of um, myself uh over many years um so it feels a little challenging to to distill um i first moved to alaska in 2001 to nome to join knom radio as a news reporter and public affairs director and was producing journalistic pieces um, for the, re the Bering Strait region, about the Bering Strait region, uh, right out of theater school, winding up doing journalistic work, which really kind of led me into this, the convergence of the kind of work that I feel really at home in now, which is uh, something we sometimes call documentary theater, um, theater um, about real stories, and, and then, as I said before, kind of expanding out into uh, storytelling that might not be so theatricalized, but is sharing of stories. Um, so that continued for me in Juneau at Perseverance Theater, and then as a teaching artist in, um, in the State Arts Council's Artists in Schools program, and then through that, um, artists and schools program work, um, developing relationships with individual school districts like Lower Kuskokwim School District in Bethel has been a really important place for me over the years. Um, they had a, 
federally funded arts, arts integration program. So for many years, I was spending a lot of the year um, in Bethel and surrounding communities doing arts work with educators and young people and, and creating documentary storytelling projects with young people leading them about place, about where, where do we live and what are the stories here? Sometimes as a kind of a counter to the challenges of lack of relevance in school curriculum, of um, high educator turnover, but to really say, as a visitor to this place, I have the freedom to say, we're gonna make a project that's about your life and try to plug back into what really does have inherent meaning here when sometimes the system might be trying to teach you that it doesn't, it does. Um, so uh, that, that when I came to Ping Chang and Company five years ago, it was an opportunity to uh, specifically learn the company's process of making these kinds of uh, interview-based performance works where unlike I had done in the past, um, Ping Chang and Company's approach is to invite the people who are interviewed, who share community stories, to perform their own stories. So there's this kind of coaching or guiding process for people who are usually non-trained performers to be the performers telling their own stories in the first person on stage. And I was very interested to learn um, how they navigate that process. There's a lot of ethical questions involved in how to guide or facilitate that as an outsider to a community. Um, but the, the result is this really, um, I think, potent and powerful and incomparable experience of hearing these first person stories and knowing that it's not an actor portraying um, the story. It's not a video or a screen. It's the real person right here in the room with me. And um, happily have been able to do m several of those projects back in Alaska with Ping Chong and company. Um, so that my time and engagement with Alaska communities has continued these five years in a way that I um, have just been so pleased about. Uh, we made one of those projects in Juneau in 2018. Um, uh, we're working on one now in Wrangell and Upper Stikine communities in BC. Um, that's ongoing. And then uh, I mentioned before this project, Alakshka, Alaska, which was a piece about cross-cultural encounter in Alaska. And so I'll briefly describe that because I feel like the piece itself was a performance about cross-cultural encounter, but it also really um, was an extremely powerful um, opportunity for me to reflect in action on my own experiences that you're asking about Asia. Mm -hmm. uh, we co-created that with Gary Beaver, who's a Yupik artist and um, teaching artist in Kasigaluk. And I had worked there through LKSD, through Lower Kuskokwim School District, gotten to know Gary and asked him if he was interested in making this project with me and with Ping. And um, happily he said yes. And so over a couple of years, we created this piece where Gary and I shared stories as really like kind of as far apart as you could get in terms of people who identify with Alaska as a, an important place to them. But um, Gary's born and raised in Kasigaluk. His family's been there since time immemorial and he lives there now. And I, you know, didn't move to Alaska. I'm a white guy, didn't move there until my adult life, visited Kasigaluk but um, really have a very um, transient and outsider experience of the place. So we were able to, because we do have trust in each other, um, be able to really put our stories next to each other and say, what does this add up to? And I feel like the ultimate question of the piece was, how do we really connect with each other and understand each other, or can we? Um, and that getting to create that show um, 
partly with a lot of huge help from you, Asia, and from Bunnell Street Art Center to develop the piece in residency there, to present it there in two different tours, and then to tour to rural communities. It was this constant kind of holding up a mirror. And so I think um, it left me feeling like a deeper understanding of my own relationship to this kind of work, and also just understanding the size of these questions. Like it's, it's, um, it's big, um, fundamental, elemental stuff. Um, I also want to flag that I, Lucy Peckham joined us today. She might still be on this call. And Lucy was the, the sound designer for that piece, Alexco, Alaska. Um, so those experiences have been uh, really formative to me. And I think so much of it, the practice to me is fundamentally about, um, about listening. It's, it's a, I think, a really important part of my role is to, to go, uh, if I have an opportunity to go, um, to confirm that that my presence is welcome, first of all, and wanted, and then second of all, to listen and to figure out how best whatever tools or skills I might have might be of use in this context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like I've learned so much from you about um, engaging the question of how we tell our story of place in an inclusive fashion. And um, I'm really interested, um, you know, how that can move across different media and platforms, the artistic studio practice and the administrative and curatorial practice. And, and um, it, it's, it's, ongoing, it's ongoing work. And one of the reasons why I, I wanted to invite you both into this discussion is also because David as well as a, you know, white male living and working in rural Alaska, you've, you've chose to, you know, face some very powerful political and cultural trauma around um, conquest, um, the extractive methods of colonization, and um, of course, you know, that idea that white guy goes to Alaska to get material for his work. Um, you chose to address that in a specific way as well. And, and David, how would you express that connection or solidarity, let me say, allyship through your work with people in places that have been deeply impacted by colonization? Sure. Um, so my project that I did was um, up, uh, it was, well, I'll take you back to, to the beginnings. So I was in New York finishing up a series on beekeeping um, and the, the, the beekeeping industry. Um, in my studio in Brooklyn, and I came across an article on, um, on the fall whale hunt up in, um, at the time, um, Barrow. And um, it struck a chord. And part of, part of colonization is, um, is um, a lack of, of for, for the white European um, colonizers, we're not educated nearly as well um, of uh, the cultures that <clears throat> existed and, and still exist. Um, and I realized that um, I knew very little about the uh, Inupiaq culture, um, you know, growing up in Arizona, um, going to school on the East Coast. I had, I had very little exposure. I had no idea that there was still, that there was subsistence whaling going on in the U.S. And it was um, an incredibly, um, just from the article, an incredibly inspiring um, notion that, that um, this 
this version of American culture existed um, and, and I needed, I really wanted to know more about my fellow Americans. Um, uh, something that I, that Ryan said, um, listening, I think listening is incredibly important. And it was important to me that, that um, if I'm going to do a painting about anything, there's a difference between doing a painting of something and doing a painting about something. And I want to do paintings about things. And um, you do a disservice to your subject unless you've thoroughly um, uh, immersed yourself in that subject. Um, so um, if I was gonna do any paintings about any Alaskan culture, about any culture other than, than my own, um, I needed to be able to experience it myself. And I wasn't gonna do it unless, um, just like Ryan said, unless I was given the go ahead by, by the community. Uh, so I, when I decided that I wanted to do uh, um, a series of works on subsistence whaling in Ukiavik, um, I contacted as many people as I could that I, that, um, whose contacts I could find. I mean, I contacted um, school instructors, um, as, as many people as I could find. And um, Baroactic Science Consortium uh, responded. They were a logistics organization for researchers up in, in um, Ukiavik. Um, and at the time, they were um, more focused on community um, outreach. So they, they, um, they were interested in the project. And the agreement was that I would um, offer um, art lessons to the community and the surrounding communities and that I would work for Basque. Uh, I drove their van around. I, I brought a lot of the researchers to their, their bunkers um, um, in exchange for me having the contacts that I needed. Um, so that would be a, a whaling crew. Um, and they helped me, um, this was the important part, they helped me compose a proposal uh, to the elders, to the uh, whaling um, captains. Um, and again, if, 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 I, if they said no, then there's, there's no way in hell I was gonna, I was gonna even make a painting from, from Brooklyn. Um, and the whaling captains commission uh, gave me the thumbs up and I uh, put everything in storage and, and moved to Keovic for, for seven months. Um, it, like you said, Asia, it was probably one of the most uh, life-changing um, experiences that I've, that I've had. Um, I mean, it, it brought me here. Um, it, it taught me uh, more about um, that culture, but also more about who I am. Um, some of the, the highlights during my time there, um, you know, I, I was... Um, given a, a whaling crew contact and I would follow them out onto the ice. Um, that season was the first season that, uh, one of the first seasons that um, climate really, the, the shifting climate really affected whaling and they weren't getting their west winds to open the ice up. Uh, so there were community prayers um, to, try, to try and uh, bring the west winds. Um, and eventually the ice just kind of rotted uh, before anybody was able to get, uh, get a harvest a whale. Um, so 
I was out on the ice a few times, um, but I, they didn't get their first whale that season until June. That was a 50 foot, 54 foot whale. Um, an incredible experience to witness the community come together um, to harvest the whale. The whale was brought up onto the sand instead of on the ice. Um, but the, I think the things that really stood out for me from that trip was the second whale that they, they harvested. Um, and the only, it was the second and last whale they harvested that season. Um, and um, Herman Osawak, uh, head of the, that whaling crew, um, they struck the whale, they lost the whale under the ice. The, the whale came back up um, after a few days um, um, as it started to, um, to decompose. It, 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 the gases brought it back up to the water. And, and Herman um, retrieved the whale, brought it back to the shore, and spent um, a good several days harvesting what he could off of that whale. I mean, the, the whale had been had been um, bloated. Um, if he had went in too far, there was there is risk that the whale would um, potentially burst. Um, but the fact that he insisted on um, on harvesting what he could and not letting that go to waste, there that was a respect for nature that um, really struck a chord with me and and. Um, some, it was sort of a sign that I, that I would love to see the rest of the world sort of take. Um, so that was, that was one moment. Another moment was um, in the fall, uh, you, you're allowed a certain number of strikes for the year. In the fall, they, they were able to make up for the strikes that they lost during the springtime. Um, and I believe they brought in 19 whales and I was able to um, to to be there for 17 of the um, the harvests uh, you know when they when they butcher the whale on land um, and I was able to join a, a a butchering so you know they it's a community effort and they you're given a, a hook with a rope and some of these pieces of muktuk they're you know they're um, 13 feet long. Um, weigh hundreds of pounds and so you need several people to, to drag the muktuk as it's um, cut um, and, and distribute it. Um, that was an incredible experience and that helped. Uh, I don't think my paintings would have been what they were if it wasn't for me being able to participate like that. So I was incredibly grateful for that opportunity. Um, if you help, you're given your um, share of the whale. So I was given um, uh, a, a good amount of whale, and a friend of mine, Abra Patkatak, um, pickled it. Uh, um, she fermented some of the meat. Um, uh, so that was another wonderful experience. And, and um, the third uh, incredible experience from all that was I sent some of this muktuk home and um, to friends and I, in the, you know, pickled. And I received a photo from, from my friend in New York, um, the police officer. Uh, and it's a photo of him and his partner and a few other police officers um, with the muktuk, eating the muktuk. And um, I think that, that, that photo sort of framed it for me. Um, 
the, I think that's where we, uh, we could do better is, is uh, sharing these, these cultural experiences. And if you just hear about the fact that there's a culture whaling, um, it's easy to write it off. But um, if you experience that culture and you realize that it's, it's subsistence and you realize that their, um, their culture depends on, uh, on the whale's existence for, for their very existence, um, both spiritually um, and to a degree uh, physically, um, that becomes a different, things change. You know, there, we'd be better if we learned more about each other. So that was incredibly fulfilling. And then the fourth and last experience from that project, um, I had a, an exhibition at International Gallery of Contemporary Art um, with those paintings. And uh, it was me and Herman Oswak, the whaling captain. Uh, he is also an ulu maker. And um, he did this beautiful um, installation of ulus um, on the, the back middle wall and my paintings were on the side. And he flew in from Ukiabek and gave a talk uh, to a packed house um, about the, the whaling um, tradition in the community. Um, and again, it was just that opportunity to, to for cultures to share for, um, uh, especially for the, uh, like Ryan was saying, the, the white, um, European colonizers to learn a bit about um, the people who uh, who are who existed here already and are still here. Um, I think that's that was the 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 big takeaway from from the project for me. Thank you. Um, for both of you, I'm interested in in hearing you know as we kind of wind down this hour of discussion um, and reflection. Um, what significant experiences and is Alaska part of them that have in any sense contributed to your capacity to, you know, on a, on a mental level and a creative level maneuver this time of the pandemic um, in, a, in a particularly grounded way? D does Alaska and your time here, you know, really feed into that, would you say? And if you don't mind... So we'll, we'll turn back to Ryan and then finish up with David. Um, I'm curious. Yeah, I def thank you, Asia. It's a juicy to reflect on that. I, I definitely think the answer is yes for me. Um, this is definitely not a prepared answer, so I'm gonna try not to <laughs> misspeak, but I think that um, one thing I've thought a lot about about my decision first to move to Alaska right after school. I went to school here in New York at undergraduate theater training. Then, as I mentioned, I moved to Nome um, to work with KNOM. That was an AmeriCorps volunteer position. And then I came back to New York. And at the time I was like, now I'm gonna get back on track and do my career. And that was a year off. And I remember vividly uh, during my time in Nome, the news director of the radio station at the time, Paul Korchin is his name, he said to me at some point, he said, you know, Ryan, this might not be a year off. This might be your life. <laughs> and he was absolutely right, you know, because I spent a year back here in New York at the age of 22 and realized a lot of things that I didn't want to stay here necessarily, that I didn't necessarily identify as um, an actor um, in such a specialized way. 
um, and that I really valued um, being in a smaller community where I could be more general and relationships could grow um, in more diverse ways across different fields, different age groups more easily. Um, to me, there's always a the other side of the coin. The past five years has been refreshing and exciting at times to be back here where there are so many other people in my field to be inspired by, to who are like the top of the game. Um, a lot more people my age. I'm always meeting new people all the time, which is exciting. But at the end of the day, you know, even, you know, David, you asked where I'm living. I, I've been in this neighborhood for five years and I see myself um, recognizing and implementing those same things. Like I've I've moved three times, but it's within one block radius, literally. Um, it, I really want to stay and root in this neighborhood, and this neighborhood becomes its own community. Um, so when I think about uh, theater, um, I, I think about any folks in the arts in these um, larger communities where um, they're making their professional lives, we're making our professional lives at this work. Um, some people I encounter really, you know, identify so strongly with the work that they do that they just feel like they cannot exist without making that work. And I, I, I like to think that I have the same kind of fire and drive in the work that I make. At the same time, I think spending time living in Nome and Juneau and, and spending long chunks of time in other Alaska communities has helped give me some perspective on my own work and how it can feel very important and it can feel not like a necessity at times. It, and that's a good thing for me to recognize that when I come out of a really tough rehearsal or something, the light wasn't working and it's a crisis, and then go have dinner with you know a lawyer who's fighting to save an endangered species or a fisherman who's got to get that like got to get this opener. It's um it's perspective. It brings perspective. So in this time for me, um, I am recognizing that as an asset. You know that I that I I don't know what this field. We don't know what this field looks like. On the, moving forward. American Theater Magazine just published a survey yesterday of American audiences saying, no, we're not confident about going back to theater productions um, after things change, go back to normal, quote unquote. Um, going back to large gathering places is going to be a long, slow process if it ever looks the same. And so I think we're gonna have to reimagine what our work is, what's at the heart of it. And I also really think that for all of us who identify as artists in any way, we have spent time cultivating assets that are like what we all need right now. You know, facing, moving through the unknown, making a plan and then having it change and having to scrap it and make a new plan, um, trying and failing. Um, and I think all along, like relying on our relationships with each other and on a sense of presence, coming back to kind of how I started, you know, that. It's about where am I today? How am I doing in my body? What's my breath doing? Okay, I'm here, you're here. Okay, let's start from there. And I do feel more equipped to do that because of my artistic work and because of my, um, the, what I've learned from being an Alaskan. Mm. What do you think, David? Thank you so much, Brian, by the way. It's fantastic comments and thank you. Yeah, I, I like, Ryan, you, you brought up um, kind of rethinking how we move forward. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing we can do right now. Um, you're reading this, the quote in the news lately, Rahm Emanuel saying, um, never waste a, a crisis, never let a crisis go to waste. Um, and I think he means it differently, but you're re like reading about the, in, in 
India, people are seeing the Himalayan mountains for the first time in their lives. Um, um, you're reading about incredible air um, quality conditions now in major cities in the U.S. Um, they're calling this the Great Pause. Um, I think this is, for, for how tragic it is, um, it would be equally tragic to let this, this Great Pause go to waste. And I think we have to rethink um, everything, uh, everything we do. And being in Alaska, I think, has allowed me to remove myself to a degree uh, from sort of the, the consumer society as much as I, as much as I um, want to. Certainly, it's, it's not easy even here, but um, I think it, we, we can all take steps now moving forward to, um, to be conscious about where we're putting our money and whether we think it's, it's a wise decision to put our money back into a system that did not necessarily benefit uh, the, common, the common person, the common workers. Um, I think we need to question everything that we do moving forward. I think it's kind of our obligation at this point. Wow. That's um, a fantastic note to, to turn to, you know, as we conclude this conversation, you know, what, what is our role during this pandemic and raising the question, um, fundamentally of questioning everything. Is there anything you want to add, Ryan, in reflection? Um, and before you do, I just want to thank all of those who've attended this uh, dialogue. And, and I do realize that some of your questions went unanswered. What I'm going to do is um, copy those questions to our speakers. And if they want to um, respond, they'll have a chance to um, individually. But largely, I think that the questions um, about how you found your niche as artists and how you're, how you're viewing your role at this time have, have really been interestingly and beautifully answered. Anything else you want to add, Ryan? I just want to say thank you. It's, um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm sorry that the conversation is going to end. And, um, you know, it's, it's, important. it's always, for me, really uh, wonderful and important to take time to stop and pause and reflect. And I think this is a particularly important time to do that. And, you know, I think you're creating an opportunity for all of us on this call to, to just take a moment and be with where we are. And even in, even in the pause that we're all in, it's easy for these days to sort of fill with things. So um, thank you. Thank you so much. David, any, any um, closing thoughts or comments you want to share? I, I sure appreciate you both taking the time and all of those who've joined to give us your attention. That is a gift. And uh, same, thank you. Thank you both. Um, uh, my wife and I saw your production um, Ryan, when, when it was up here, it was incredible. Um, and um, thanks to Benel, Asia, thank you. And thanks to Benel for hosting. It's um, inspiring. It's been great. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, um, for, for further such dialogues, come back to uh, Benel Arts and you'll see a link to, to these continuing conversations as well as a recording if you want to share or reflect on it in the future. Thank you all so much. We really deeply appreciate the work you're doing um, in the communities and out in the world. Stay in touch.